Hey, welcome to an aromatic life. Okay, so we know smells are invisible, right? They're so tiny that they can't be seen by a conventional microscope. And they're smaller than the wavelength of light. But yet, our nose can detect them. This mysteriousness, is that even a word? <laughs> it's, is what's so fascinating. And because we humans are such curious creatures, we're often looking to make the invisible visible. For lots of different reasons, many of us want to know what smells are made of. So I wanted to invite someone on the podcast to help us make sense of the invisible. My guest today has spent years bringing smells to light, so to speak. Through his work, he makes teeny tiny odor molecules visible so we can learn about smells and then use that information for good. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest here today. His name is Luciano Vera and he's an expert in unraveling odors to numerical codes. He'll tell us all about what that means. Specifically, he creates and designs automatic odor GCMS data processing to identify and interpret odor molecules. And for more than 15 years, he's been involved in the use and development of analytical methodologies such as GCMS, GC sniffing, e-sensors, and similar for odor molecule identification and odor interpretation. We get into what all those different analytical methodologies are, so don't worry, he'll explain everything. In fact, he tells an interesting story about something he's observed over the years, that some cultures are anosmic to certain molecules that other cultures can clearly detect. It's fascinating. Luciano has been involved in over 500 projects related to volatile organic compounds and odor analysis, for a wide range of sectors, including environmental, products, and materials. You'll hear about one project that involved a gorilla's body. Yes, you heard that right. So make sure you listen all the way through to find out. Needless to say, he's an expert in making the invisible visible. So let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with Luciano Vera. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. So I want to welcome you to an aromatic life, Luciano. Hello. Yeah, for me, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because you're working in a very specialized area of olfaction that doesn't get a lot of exposure and... For me, I'm familiar with it because of all the years that I worked in the fragrance industry, but for many of my listeners, the work that you do will be new to them. Mm. And I can't wait for them to get to know this fascinating field in more detail. I always like to ask my guests first what the sense of smell means to them. So I just wanted to understand from you, what does the sense of smell mean to you? Um, yeah, I think that this is a very challenging question for myself also, because I... I think for me, the sense of smell is like a mystery. Um, it is like, I would say that it's a, it's a useful mystery. 
because um, it is like an independent life inside us making rational and irrational decisions. So because we react to the smell and we don't know sometimes why we react in that, in that way. Um, I also think that the sense of the smell means the non-verbal communication between us and the environment. Yeah. For, for example, it's, it's a non-verbal communication between humans. So because our sense of smell can tell us something about culture, habit, health of another person by simply perceive, perceiving how does it smell another person. Also, it's like a non-verbal communication in nature. Uh, we can be informed about danger when we smell the smoke from a fire or to know it is raining when we smell like wet hair or wet ground. Similarly, we can say that there's no verbal communication in products. For example, when we can reject eating an expired yogurt simply by smelling it. Yeah. And this is super, super fascinating. And also for me, I like to, to, to refer the smell like a, the smell and uh, the process for smelling like a paradox. But maybe we will talk later about paradoxes. No, that's really mm. fascinating. And I, I agree with you completely. It is a mm. real mystery. And that's probably why you were so curious about it, right? I mean, you're working on kind of helping us to better understand this mysterious sense <laughs> in, mm -hmm. the work, in the work that you do. But did you, would you say that you've always been connected with your sense of smell? Or is that something that you kind of gradually came to through the work <laughs> you're doing? Yeah, I would say that I have always been connected, but I didn't know it. So yeah. I, re I realized this with my job, to be honest. Yeah. So, but definitely in my job, I have felt more attractive to this sense. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I didn't really connect with it as a child. And I mean, I hope just through this podcast, I can get more people to have their children connect with it early on, right? It'd be so nice yes. to connect with it. All right, well, let's, let's talk about the work that you do right so mm -hmm. i love what you say i think it's in your linkedin profile actually you say that you unravel odors to numerical codes and that's great because you're in in a sense you're making the invisible visible and identifiable what what made you decide to say that i mean unraveling odors to numerical codes yeah it is it is like a very like at the same time times confusing to explain that <laughs> Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, we will. I will try to explain you. Yeah, I think that in general, I think that the human beings love to make everything visible. Yeah. So yeah. and then this, this is. We, I think that sometimes that we feel some kind of frustration when we try to describe odors. Yeah, because we use words, which is okay, and, uh, a little bit romantic, but we always try to think in some material object to refer to the, to the smell. Um, we, when we try to transmit our other experience, we use words for describing it. And yeah. most of them are words referring to visual objects, I, I told you, especially yeah. objects with consolidated sensory characteristics. Yeah? For example, uh, an orange. Yeah. The orange has a consolidated image and a very characteristic odor. Then the, the orange, orange is a good resource for sensory semantics. Yeah? Okay. Uh, it's when we, uh, we can smell the air gray tea, for example, and right. we can use the description, yeah, this is it's orange-like smell between 
which is <laughs> other, generic, other yeah. odors, no? We can, we can say, oh, it smells like grass, like, like, I don't know, like wood, but orange like smell. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But for example, other, another example could be maybe coconut. Yeah, coconut is also is a good semantic resource. We can use also the expression coconut-like smell for describing yeah. many smells in food, perfume, perfume, sorry, and, and nature, etc. And what about metal? Metal is another good resource. Mm -hmm. So we have, I, I mentioned orange, mentioned coconut and metal. However, how does the orange smell? How does the coconut smell? How does metal smell? So if you think about that, you can find something, but it's not easy to describe the metal odor. Sure, yeah. So, and then, so do we have a additional visual object for describing the orange, no, or metal or coconut odor? That's, that's weird. Huh? <laughs> um, we, we learned that the orange fruit smells like orange. We right. learned that the coconut smells like coconut and the metal smells like metal. Right. And we have, we have accepted them in our odor vocabulary. Yeah. In the case of chocolate, Chocolate, for example, we all agree that it can be used also like an odor descriptor for describing other smells, like, yeah. But can we describe the chocolate odor? Yeah, this is, looks more possible. It's, yeah, yeah, for example, chocolate, or maybe you can help me. Toasted, cocoa, of course. Yeah. Earthy, it moldy, can be sweet. Yeah, it can be sweet. sweet, exactly, yeah. It is, it is this, I call the other vocabulary, vocabulary paradox. Yeah. Yeah. So think about the following question. Is a smell worth of thousand words or is a word worth a thousand smell? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, yeah. for example, the chemical odor called ethanol, maybe you know that yes, a, yes. A pure compound, is very complex to describe with, with words. Yeah? Despite, despite this is a common chemical substance, we smell it everywhere. That is because we don't find the ethanol pure in the nature. Right. It's a part yeah. of other odors, right? Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of the composition of other odors and other odors or other odors. In literature, for example, you can find, I, I, I'm sure that you can find more than 10 words for describing it. To describe the ethanol. Wow. With, with unrelated conceptual words like fish, citrus, fat, or even cold stores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then words as auto descriptors are sometimes for me a paradox. Additionally, can, so I, I would try to, to think about to create a brainstorming about that. Can two or more people provide the same other description words based when smelling milk? I find usually in my work, this kind of deviation in all the description, even in those very, very, very well-trained noses. We use words for, this, for describing odors, it's okay. We have also like a kind of paradox about odors because there is not a fundamental base to refer to some like basic odors like orange, et cetera, et cetera. And the second is, okay, yeah, if we can say something about the odor, describe the odor, how similar is the evaluation between those two people? There is the first basic question for me, the following. Is our traditional way to describe odors 
robust enough for evaluating any kind of known or unknown order? So let's say something else. Uh, only for increasing the complexity of semantics. Um, how sure are we that the metal smell has an identical emotional interpretation when smelling for people living in Chicago and for people living in Kenya, for example? Yeah. So I am talking about uh, emo emotions. I, I was thinking another question is, does the other description by using a group of individual words also transmit our emotional reaction to the smell? I only want to create this kind of thinking about we don't are not aware about that our usual use of words for describing odors. At the moment, I would say that the most realistic version of the olfactory description is done for the perfumers. They they create stories with the words. It is fascinating, and they involve emotions. Yeah. Right, because people word, don't know. People don't know how to describe words. So the, the fragrance industry has helped the average person yes, <laughs> by, that, by that, giving them words and descriptors. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that the words have to be also involved with emotions. But this, when, when we, for example, learned, okay, this, uh, this is coconut, this is coffee, et cetera, et cetera. So and then I'm not sure if we transmit emotion with us. Right. <laughs> In my work, for, for example, I found a big challenge after receive, receiving all of the descriptions because I have to also to process signals, uh, the chemical signal, well, maybe we will talk later. Yeah. I have to match this chemical signal with odors, no, something like that. Okay. Um, when I receive the auto descriptions, uh, that always make me think, how can I know if two odors are or not synonymous? Definitely, I realize that the semantic variability or similarity is hard, very, very hard to quantify. For example, um, are the other descriptors flora and rose sensory synonyms? What is the magnitude of this synonymous if we also include jasmine, geranium, or tulip in this exercise? Right, right. Uh, we, can, we can imagine, for example, an hypothetical odor map yeah? where we can position all odor based on how similar or different they are in a multidimensional space. Just to help the listeners, can we start with the basics of some of the basic analytical methodologies that you use? Yeah, I, I, my current job is based on using uh, chemical instrumentation for detect these kind of substances that are in the air and produce odors. That are invisible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Invisible odor, yes. Visible yeah. for the machines. Invisible yeah. for the machines. That's what's beautiful, yeah. that you're taking the invisible and making it visible. I just love that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I, I, the one, I would say the first instrument I can um, yeah, tell, tell you is the, it's called gas chromatography mass spectrometry. That's the classic, right? It is yeah, super classic. Basically, this instrument is a scan uh, the chemical composition, in my case, the chemical composition in the air, no? that all the, these kind of particles or, or molecules in gas form. Uh, uh, in gas form is because we receive the smells in ga gas form. And then uh, we, we trap air sample 
could be in environmental or from the product or material. Yeah, from an actual object. Can we take an example? Let's take coffee for an example. If you want, in, in, there's this industry term that we use called headspace, right? We take mm -hmm. headspace of, of something that you want to capture. So can we use coffee as an example? Just yeah, of, of course. Something? Yeah. Yeah, we have analyzed coffee also before. Uh, mm -hmm. That is, it depends on the intensity of the coffee. We also try to to, to select or to cho choose the, the, the right volume because also we have the limitation that we can saturate instruments if we collect a big volume of air. Um, yeah, and in our case, we use for uh, a kind of tube, yeah, with, with a, a solvent phase inside. The solvent is like a, a, a material, a granular material able to absorb uh, molecules. Uh -huh. uh, and we also suction air sample, and then this uh, air is absorbing, the molecules of the air are absorbing in the tube, and then we dissolve that substances uh, based on thermal desorption. Yeah. Uh, and that all that dissolved molecules are sent to the GCMS instrument. So grass, gas chromatography is, if I understand correctly, where you capture all of the molecules in that headspace <laughs> that you're capturing, right? Yeah. All molecules in there. And then the mass spectrometry part is what are yes. those molecules? I, I, explained you, I explained you the first part of the analysis. When we need to send oh. something to the instrument. Huh? Okay. So, and then we capture the sample in our case in a, these tubes. When we send, the content of the tube to the gas chromatography mass spectrometry happened the following. First goes to the gas chromatograph. Yeah? Okay. The gas chromatograph, uh, to, to have an idea, is like a separator. I always refer like a separator. That means that it, the, the characteristic of the gas chromatograph is that can separate uh, a cocktail of substances. You know? Uh, in function of the how heavy is the molecule, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and all its physical chemical property, because the flow of of the sample goes through a inner column inside the the gas chromatograph, uh, and then is in in the column is producing this kind of separation of substances. And now the question is why is is interesting to separate the substances because yeah. then we can also identify the single substance. When we, when we have all together, it's super complex for the instrument to say, oh, I can, I can, I can identify this substance because there is a, it's full of substance in, 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 in that time. So when we separate the substance, we are working in HD, for example, yeah? Mm -hmm. In high definition, we would say. And then, um, the analysis take maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, depending on the methodology, methodology. And the single substances separated from the cocktail of sample, they reach a detector, a chemical detector called mass spectrometry. The function of the mass spectrometry is to identify, uh, uh, to provide a name and surname of the chemical substance. Yeah. So when we call, when we talk about GCMS, we we talk about gas chromatography has the first st step, and then 
for separated substances in a mixture. And the second step is mass spectrometry, which uh, assign a name, uh, some name of the molecule. Because we've got chromatography also on all these systems, we not only identify substances, we also quantify the, the, the substances in the yeah. mixture. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really important. And would you say a GCMS itself could tell you um, which of the molecules um, are the molecules that help us identify the smell, or is that the GC sniffing? Um, like, tell me what GC sniffing is. I'm just curious. I don't know much about. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. GC sniffing is like a extension of the GCMS. Extension in complexity and extension in cost. I would say. Also. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, basically, I, uh, I explained before that the gas chromatography, inside the gas chromatograph, there is a column, yeah? Okay. Um, at the end of the column, which is connected to the mass spectrometry, in the case of GC sniffing, there is a split in the column, yeah? That one part goes to the mass spectrometer and the other part goes to the called sniffing port. Okay. So directly this, the, the, the separated compounds, no? because also in the gas chromatograph separate compounds, and that compound after arriving to the mass spectrometer is splitted. So one part goes to the mass spectrometer for chemical identification, and the other part goes to the nose of a train like uh, person. A train sniffer. <laughs> yes, train sniffers for um, characterization for providing an, yeah, an odor. Like a yeah. human interpretation, would you say? Yeah, of course, because the instrument cannot, can identify the substance, but cannot say if the substance is an odor or not. That's really interesting. So that's just an extension of a GCMS, is that the GCMS? Yeah. Okay, okay. But I, I have to say it's an extension, but at the same time, they are complementary uh, concepts. Okay. Yeah. Because um, always when I explain that um, functionality or how important is the technique, so I don't want to minimize also the, the functionality of the mass spectrometer. I think that the, the, the combination nose with mass spectrometers is very powerful. And I think that for, for, a, for a, a better understanding of, of your study are necessary both sides. So we need to characterize this, the smell with uh, like the descriptors, you know, to say, yeah. okay, this is coconut. <laughs> but right. um, we need also for, for, for the industries, it's not only important to know the, the, the character, no? they need to know what is the chemical component associated with that smell, with that odor. And you mentioned, you know, when you have these human sniffers, you mentioned that, you know, people smell things differently. So you must have standardizations, right, set in place. Mm -hmm how people smell or how you train them to smell is that correct yeah yeah of course and in in my case for example in our case uh we need a very standardized way to interpret the smell so right. if, for example um if you say today oh it, it, it smells like apple uh, you have to say the same tomorrow for the same chemical compound ah. yeah. yeah and then this is also looks stupid, but that happened normally with a human. 
uh, we are not yeah. stable. It, it depends on our emotion, our, the weather, our, exactly. know, the Netflix <laughs> series that you are watching or whatever. Um, Even our, culture, our cultural understanding. Cultural, yeah. yes, yes. We have a multi, uh, multicultural also panel in yeah. our GC sniffing. And we have a very curious example. I can mention, for example, the German sniffers. Okay. <laughs> uh, for them, it's not easy to to identify the butanidion, which is the, the smell of uh, butter. But it's, it's complex. Uh, they, it's like the, the German uh, people, maybe they, they, they don't have a... a uh, they are not sensitive enough for detecting the butter smell. Ah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, otherwise, for example, in, in for German people, it also they are like very like uh, much um, sensitive for nature, other from the nature, from grass or I don't know tree or something like. They are sensitive for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in our case, for example, for, for the GC sniffing exercise, um, we use two trained sniffers for, for each analysis. Okay. Yeah? Because our uh, time of analysis is about one hour. And of course, one person cannot smell during 60 minutes at high level. Oh. Oof. Yeah. yeah. And the exercise is complex because... Um, when in GC sniffing, you receive the smell in your nose in fraction of a second. Right. And then it goes yeah, away. And, yeah, 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 that's right. And then they are trained for say something just after receive the, the stimulus. Yeah. And then uh, you can, that is, of course, they need a big training. And, yes. and, and for, for, us, for us, it's important that they can say something uh, reasonable so and of course and if they can be also uh, not to uh, or use not to general words like petrol like plastic is much better so if they can define much better the smell uh, make me the life easier for me i'm curious now if the germans are bad at it who's good at it <laughs> <laughs> it's curious but this is an hypothesis i think that um, people from the south of the map uh, in general, the, yeah, they say even they uh, they say that the people from the north of Europe smell like butter. Wow! Yeah. yeah. So when when the people in the south of the map say no, no, the the, the European people in the north, especially, especially, they smell like butter. Uh, could be maybe that could be the reason why they <laughs> the, the German people they don't smell the butter or they <laughs> don't smell the butter so easy like the other. Yeah, culture. Fascinating. Okay. But it's, it's not my topic. I am not expert expert on that. But it's just what you've observed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned over all these years of doing this work. So what can we learn about smells when they become visible to us? We can learn that um, smells, perceptions change with a, depending on how much we smell. So in terms of 
abundance of molecules, yeah, the concentration. Yeah. yeah? Uh, we can learn that in a cocktail and a mixture of other substances, when you smell all together, have a very different interpretation when you separate the individual composition of odors and you smell it in, uh, individually. In isolation, yeah. Yes. Uh, we can learn that people also, uh, even our trained sniffers can have a different uh, sensitivity to some kind of odors. We can learn that also that uh, for some compounds, we are anosmic. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes we don't know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think we're all a little bit anosmic to certain molecules, right? Every single human. I, I think I've read that. Yes, I, I, there are. Uh, some, uh, I have even experience for me that I, I was smelling in the GC sniffing. I, I didn't say anything because I didn't perceive anything. And when we repeat the analysis and other person was uh, smelling, yeah. that person said, oof, smell like, I don't know, uh, burnt, uh, I don't know, something like burnt, I don't remember. Yeah. Super strong. But for me, it was strange. I said, I said to the person, strange, because I didn't smell it. And I would try again. I was also smelling in the same time in the analysis, but yeah. I couldn't perceive anything. Huh. Yeah, so that is fascinating. Yeah. It is fascinating, yeah. What I also find fascinating is there are many molecules in a smell that don't contribute to the odor. And I find that, well, at least to our odor perception, I should say, to the human odor perception, mm -hmm. right? That are yeah. below our odor threshold of what we can yeah. smell. And that I find fascinating too. Like to go back to the coffee analogy, I read, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that coffee has something like 800 molecules, but only 27 of them contribute to the smell of coffee. Yes. I think that when we can uh, talk about the contribution of other molecules, but maybe there are much more, but they are not too important in terms of impact, no? Yeah. Um, we normally, when, when we perform the chromatography and we, we find a lot of compounds, in, uh, as you mentioned very well, that in coffee we can have uh, about 800 or 1,000 yeah. chemical compounds, no? uh, volatile, volatile compounds. And they are in different concentrations. So, and the chromatogram is uh, show um, signals, no, with peaks. Yeah. And many of that, even big peaks, they are not other compounds. Ah. And sometimes, yeah, and some, and some of, uh, is, that is, the, 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 I think, the the complexity of the of analyze odor by chromatography because is not visual, I would say, uh, only by checking the chromatogram. So and then you, we have to go to another uh, level to, to detect other molecules. Okay. And to, to see if that concentration is enough to be smelled. So there are molecules that only need a very few concentration to create a big impact in the smell. Yeah. And, and that is exercise. It depends, as you mentioned before, the or depends on the odor threshold. And that means uh, that the odor threshold is the, the minimal concentration necessary for the smell. A component. Yes, our threshold, what we can smell. Yeah, the minimum amount yeah. needed to 
for us to be able to smell it, yeah. Uh, our nose, I think this is, this is related with our evolution. Uh, our nose is very sensible for some kind of compound that represents danger, represents some, I don't know, some information, some important information for our for survival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yes. And we are very sensitive, but for the instrument, as the instrument doesn't have interpretation, for the oh. instrument it's the same, they only register signals. No? Right. And, and that is the game. So let me ask you, are there any things that a machine still can't detect? Are there things that still elude us? I think all the machines uh, um, have um, limitation. Yeah? Okay. Um, first of all, I think that we always refer, in, in, in this conversation, refer the machine like, um, like a replacement or, or alternative to our nose. So our nose is, is something biological. Yeah? Um, and instrument, our instrument, the nose, our noses. There are some uh, components that with a very um, difficult nature because they are like a little bit reactive. Yeah. Wow. For example, uh, some sulfur compounds, uh, they are also reactive with the ozone. Yeah. So the ozone is always present in the, in the air. They can produce a, an, an, another molecule. They can react and, and convert to another sulfur molecule, for example. And then when you, uh, it depends on how, how long does the sampling take. So for example, uh, if it's too long, maybe we will have more time or the molecule will have more time for react no? and change the composition. Yeah. And yeah, this could be also like, um, like a limitation of the analysis. Uh, also, for in the case of this, when we talked before with the molecules that are very difficult to, to detect for the instrument, for not for the nose, uh, is because we will never have enough uh, concentration of molecule for, for uh, identifying the instrument. So, um, for example, there are the, the mold molecules associated with mold uh, order are super complex also to, to identify for the instrument. But for our nose, that's very, very strong. Yeah. Um, and then that, uh, even when that uh, molecule that produces the mold odor are in the range of substances that can be analyzed, uh, absorbed for, the, for our tube that I explained before, yeah. uh, normally the, the, the volume are never enough for creating a signal in the instrument. So you would say the human nose is better at detecting mold than a machine is? Yes, for mold, for also for some body odor compounds also, like sweat also, oh. the nose is much better. Yeah, we are very sen sensitive to some bad smell in the body. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but makes sense also because we protect our wellness. Right. Um, yeah. But we cannot say, I cannot say that it's, the nose is better than the instrument because the instrument can detect, it's very sensitive to hydrocarbons, but we cannot smell the hydrocarbons. <laughs> yeah. Oh. We are, now, I'm sure that you and me are smelling, I don't know, X, X, XN, F, F10, etc., etc., but we cannot um, perceive it. Right, right. But for but the instrument, it's quite visible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's just different. One is not better than the other. They just serve different purposes. So it just makes it. That, that's and, right. For me, they are complementary. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes it. So 
e-noses. You also work with e-noses, right? Yes, in my PhD stage. Yeah, and then I, I find e-noses fascinating because I work with the anosmia community. Mm -hmm. And they're always hoping that one day there will be an e-nose to help them because they can't, they are not able to, you know, detect gas, smoke, or if, if food's spoiled, or if they have body odor. And now you're saying body odor is hard to identify. So that might be a, a challenging aspect for an e-nose. But um, tell me a little bit about that work with the e-nose. Well, and, and we were working with, uh, basically we, we call e-nose to the same GCMS, for example. And we convert that GCMS in, in electronic nose by analyzing the odor molecules, but in a very fast way. Uh, but the important here was how we process the signal yeah, uh, obtained for the instrument. Uh, we use that uh, kind of an e-nose for analyzing wine and beers. My research was to uh, based more on the quality control, so and then to determine if different kind of uh, wines or beer, we uh, we were able to find some outlier wines. So to say, okay, this is this 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 wine doesn't belong to this cluster. So this wine from the south of Spain, for example. Okay. Uh, based in the aroma of the wine. Yeah. We did the same or oh, something similar with an instrument called uh, FTIR the Fourier Transform Infrared Instrument. Uh, what, but we used like an electronic tongue. Oh. Yeah. And also uh, we used the instrument called uh, ultraviolet visible, like electronic eye. Yeah. And, and here there the was funny because uh, the challenge for us was how we can create with these three techniques uh, as only one single technique by merging all the, the, the data, data out, output from the instrument. Ah, yeah. Okay. Basic, basically, it's by using a statistics. Uh, uh, and then we said, okay, we can merge the data. It's not too simple because they have different dimensionality or how to say, yeah, yeah. They are data totally with this different nature, but we did it. And then we try to create calibration models uh, by using the real um, data from uh, expert panel, taster panel. Okay. Yeah. And we also create calibration models. And we, after creating the models, uh, we also try then to predict the quality of wines based on that model. And it was quite successful. So tell me, you know, you mentioned the wine industry and where are some of the different places where you can apply, you know, when, once you make the invisible visible through all these different analytical ways that you just described, where can you start applying this information? Where have you started to apply this information so that, you know, just for the listener who might not know what industries this information is used for? Yeah, I think that it's very, it's very like useful for many, many kinds of industries. So from food, from, from raw materials, uh, also for um, essential oil and industry also, because yeah. we can also uh, detect um, fraud. We can detect also um, uh, if it's original or not the product. 
So this is um, huge. Can we stop with that one for a minute? Because, you know, I'm an aromatherapist and I work a lot with essential oils now. And um, it's a huge problem in the industry, this adulteration, right? Yes, I think so. Especially in the, in the um, essential oil uh, sector, there, there is yeah. not, I think, clear, uh, I don't know, standard or, I don't know, rules or regulations for that. But based on these techniques, we can make visible the invisible how you would like to, to say yeah. uh, and to determine if the if the if the chemical composition in the air or could be also in the liquid phase are uh, is realistic with a real sample with a real oil, um, essential oil sample so okay for that we need to analyze the original one and then when we we have that data we have to compare with the potential artificial, I would say, uh, sample. Tell me some more where you use it in the food industry, right? In the fragrance industry. Mm -hmm. Yes, also in, in, in automotive industry also. They want oh. to, yeah, they want to optimize also the, the, the sensory quality of the raw material sometimes for, for the interior part of the car. Yeah, because it's very smelly. It's very smelly. Yeah, it is very car. smelly. <laughs> And they also need to know uh, what are the smell that is producing some annoyed experience. I was going to ask you, what, um, what are some of the most interesting projects you've worked on that you're allowed to talk about? I mean, you can talk about them generically, I suppose. Just, uh, just curious. What are some of the most curious ones that you've worked on? For example, I, <laughs> one day we receive a sample from, from the, the body of a gorilla. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah. We received sample. From, uh, we received the smell of gorilla, and we had to determine the, the volatile composition of, of that. Wait, wait. How did you even get the smell of the gorilla sent to you? <laughs> uh, good, good, good question. <laughs> it, it is strange because sometimes we don't know. We receive the sample, and they need the results, but oh, we don't know what happened you. after that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I cannot say any more, honestly. Okay. Just because uh, but you, don't know, you don't know how. <laughs> but the words are mentioned because it's not uh, usual to receive a sample from Gorilla. Um, the sure. other, another, another study, interesting study, was to um, we had to determine the molecular nature of the air uh, at one meter above the center of toilets in 25 Indian household bathrooms. Oh. Yeah. Uh, we smelled the all individual molecules by GC sniffing found in the air of those bathrooms. So you can imagine how kind Oof, of molecule. I wouldn't want to be the sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was was uh, yeah? It was curious because we we were also able to visualize the diet of Indians. <laughs> yeah, oh. uh, and also I remember that we had a kind of outlier result uh, for a high content of terpenes. Yeah, you know, this uh, class of sure. uh, molecule called terpenes. And then I, I was a little bit curious because it was like a very like strange result in terms of um, chemical composition compared with others. And I, I but I was then, I said, I, 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 I thought, okay, I will check the, the picture because we also received the picture of the, the bathroom. Okay. Um, 
And then we realized that the bathroom, that bathroom had a, had a window partially covered by cardboard. Yeah, so that, that, the, that piece of cardboard was enough for contribute with terpene related molecules blown by the wind from outside, no? So, and then wow. I was super curious that the, I, I, when I, I checked all the bathroom and it was the only bathroom I saw with this peculiarity. So it was, was a windows made of cardboard. <laughs> Uh, for example, I we received one when they are sample uh, with uh, a, a client called us for an urgent problem related with wooden pallets. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they had a strong moldy smell. Wow. Uh, after the usual analysis by GCMS, we could not identify any other molecule re related with to mold because I told you be before that mold is not easy. I don't know. Um, order or identify yeah, for yeah. the machine. Yeah. And then after that, we decided to go for GC sniffing. Yeah. So before it was only GCMS, and then we said, okay, let's do a GC sniffing. Yeah. And we identify the mold odor in a determined time in the analysis. I did an exhaustive search in the spectrum yeah. registered for the instrument at the time where the sniffer found the, the smell. And I found traces of geosmin which is an odor compound usually described yeah. as mold and hairs. Yeah. Yeah. Geosmin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that, this molecule has a, a microbiological origin and typical, typically grows in areas with scarce light and high humidity. In fact, the client informed us that their pallets were stored in an area of similar characteristics. Ah. All right, just to, to finish off, I just wanted to ask you kind of where do you see the future for the work that you do? I mean, like what's what's coming? Is it AI? I think that the future have started already. But we <laughs> the future but is here. yeah I like to, yeah, I, I would yeah. like to because I feel the frustration because I want to experiment the future in 50 or 100 more years. I prefer to see that we are now in the future, sure. but we have to be prepared for interpreted. Okay. I think that this is still miss, miss, missing. Um, I visualize artificial humans functions that help us to make decisions. Okay. Or, or will drive us to make decisions as many times happen with sense of smell I explained before. Additional, additionally, they, I think that this, the, the machine will predict smell episodes to prepare us to react. Um, the new digital olfaction devices will describe with acceptable precision, I think, new smells, especially from theoretical molecules never ever synthesized before. Yeah. Um, yeah, digital olfaction, digital nose, artificial nose, or whatever it, it is called, uh, will drive standard and also standardization of our olfactive language. Okay. And will unify the interpretations somehow. Somehow. So, so we'll have a common language, a better. Yeah, yeah. Back to the, the, the first discussion that uh, with the words, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this new uh, development will maybe standardize everything. Okay. Okay. I mean, but again, you think in the future, the the future that is here now <laughs> that will be coming in the future. <laughs> yes. Um, I, uh, do you think that 
it's it will continue to be complementary. I mean, we're always going to need humans. The human nose has has unique qualities that I'm just generically calling it a machine. Sorry, but that a AI or a machine um, doesn't have, and vice versa. I mean, it's they're complementary. They will continue to be complementary. We're not replacing AI with our human nose. Yeah, I, I think that we always have to back again to the our. Um nature so and then our the the the, the fundamentals of of the of their faction um we will create new technology we will create create new intelligence and yeah. we have to back again always to to the fundamentals of, of, of faction and we need the noses the bi biological noses right I want to thank you so much for joining me, Luciano. What you do is mm -hmm. fascinating. And I, I hope my listeners now have a new appreciation for uh, this type of work that you do. And I want to thank you for joining me. Okay, it was a player. Um, yeah, I also enjoy a lot this conversation. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.